You know, it's wise from time to time to ask certain people more experienced or more mature for their opinion on matters concerning our lives. And that's something we pick up in today's passage that Paul does to make sure what he was doing was honorable to the Lord. So turn to Galatians chapter 2 and let's see how we can apply that same wisdom to our lives. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? I pray you guys are blessed that you're standing strong in your faith because you continue to stay grounded in God's word. And that's what you know we're all about here on the podcast to help you, my friends, all my brothers and sisters out there around the world listening to this podcast. And what a blessing it is to know that I have your prayer and your support and that we can join together in the spirit of the Lord as we study his beautiful and powerful and immeasurable word but that we are taking advantage of this opportunity, you guys. And that's why I get so excited coming in the studio every time praying that God would touch your heart through his word. And as we explore Galatians 2, my prayer is that we'll learn a thing or two from what Paul has to say today. So get ready for that, you guys. Now, as always, you could always go to standstrongministries.org. It's always available, right? It's always there. God forbid our server goes down or something happens, which has happened a little bit, actually, to be honest. But I think we're solid there, though. But you could go to the website, check things out, click podcast. We got Gospels. We got the Book of Acts. We got the letter that James wrote to the early church. And now we are beginning our study going into chapter two now of Galatians. So Galatians chapter one is all up there. So take advantage of that, you guys. And if you missed the last podcast, podcast 163, we looked at the timetable after Paul's conversion in, in chapter 1, 15 through 24. And that's a biggie, you guys, because it, again, it feeds right into Galatians chapter two that we're going to be seeing that Paul's talking about him going to Jerusalem for the second time. So the kind of the theme, the overarching theme of Galatians chapter two, and it's going to be like a four, about, I would say, let me look at my notes here. It's probably going to be a five-part series in Galatians chapter two. And so what we're looking at primarily is Paul's growth of, Dru- uh, of his ministry in Jerusalem. Okay, so it's all about this expansion of ministry that Paul has as he goes back to Jerusalem about 14 years since he was in Damascus. Okay, and this is helpful because it kind of gives us, you know, a breakdown or it also kind of, you know, where allows us opportunity to piece things together so we can have at least an idea chronologically of how things were unfolding. And again, we make uh, effort to do that because that's the purpose of how we teach the Bible here on the podcast is in chronological order. Now, again, I'm human. I may not always have my facts straight. And also, and I, and I verify, I let you guys know this is, I'm going to probably say a few times along the way in this podcast, there are scholars way more, way smarter than I am who will differ on my order of events. Uh, and then there's other scholars, again, way smarter than me, who I support and agree with their consensus and their analysis chronologically. And again, that's just internal uh, debate and it's all good. Um, you know, it's not like heresy. 
It's just a matter of like, was this AD 33 or is this AD 37? You know, so was it four years earlier or four years later? You know, so sometimes we just don't know. We could do our best. But I say that on today's podcast because we have to keep in mind the flow, if you will, the flow chart of what Paul just laid out in Galatians chapter one, verses 15 through 24. So let me just bring you up to speed, if you don't mind, this will save you guys some time because even if you listen to the timetable after Paul's conversion, it's hard sometimes to keep these facts in your head because there's a lot of them. Because what we had to do there was we had to look at Galatians 1 and we had to coincide it with Acts chapter 9. And that's where we got those five missions that Paul had since his conversion. Now, when he said he went away into Arabia, if you go back to Galatians chapter 1 verse 17, because he says, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go seek the approval of the apostles. I went away into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. So it's not certain why Paul mentions not going to Jerusalem other than the fact of maybe just saying, I need to spend some time with the Lord. And I was not seeking the approval of man because he already got it from Christ himself when Christ revealed himself to him. So when he goes to Arabia, it's probably safe to say this is roughly around 8033, maybe 8034. Some people have this, his conversion is, is at eighty thirty six, okay? But if we were to take just about eighty thirty three, and again, let's jump now to Galatians chapter two, verse one, then after 14 years, I went up again. So if this is after those five missions, the last, again, going from, let me just repeat them. He goes to Damascus, Damascus to Arabia. This is all based on Acts chapter nine, verses 19 through 24. And then when you get into him going to Damascus to Arabia, spends three plus years, and then he goes to Arabia to Damascus, and then Damascus to Jerusalem, and then he goes to Jerusalem, um, uh, to Syria, to Cilicia, to Judea, in Acts chapter 9, 30 through 31. When you look at that passage of scripture and you're seeing the movement of Paul year after year, growing in his faith, this is now where we pick things up. This would mean 14 years since 8033-ish, if you will. This is approximately about 8047. Now, again, another thing to keep in mind is that Paul is going to be mentioning some occurrences that are going to be taking place down the road. And one of them is an occurrence that happens in the early 50s, the Jerusalem Council. Because Paul's going to be talking about things in, you know, that we see in the Jerusalem Council that Luke records in Acts 15 that occurred at this period of time, just a few years earlier. And guys, that's when we're doing some internal tests to show the validity and the credibility of certain writings historically um, by looking at events that they record and looking at the accuracy and then the eyewitness accounts. And, and again, compiling that kind of data and ensuring that they're, they're not just concise, they're not just consistent, but they can be um, challenged. If, can, we try to, can we falsify them? And, and so this holds up, okay? This stuff holds up from Galatians 2 to Acts 15. And it's early, you guys. This is less than 25 years since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is, this is important stuff right here. So again, I, I get all nerd out about that kind of stuff. So let me now just jump into the passage because uh, I think we've said enough there just to kind of give you guys a little background. 
So here now in Galatians chapter two, verses one through five, here we see two parts again. Paul's explaining his reason in verses one through two about why he goes to, to visit Jerusalem. And then we're gonna see in verses three through five, Paul's detailing his defense against false teachers. So here's the first part, verse one. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. It's literally the word apocalypse and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Then verse three, here he's giving the defense as he's in Jerusalem against false teachers. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers, literally false believers secretly brought in, who slipped in, that literally means they infiltrated to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Verse five, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So that's the word of the Lord before us. So let's break down these two parts within verses one through five. So notice in verses one through two, Paul goes back to Jerusalem roughly 14 years later, either from the time of his conversion or around roughly the time in which um, he comes back through you know, some of the cities like Damascus and stuff like that, that he has been spending time or Arabia. We don't know exactly, okay? Or maybe perhaps, according to Galatians chapter one, verse 18, was it from his first visit to Jerusalem in roughly about 8038? We don't know. So that, that again, this is debatable. We, we, don't, we don't fully know exactly 8033 to 8037 to 8038, okay? And the reason I just kind of keep bringing that up because you read so many commentators or so many New Testament scholars, they just nitpick that um, because again, they geek out about it too. And they want us, you know, try to be as sound as possible. Now, Barnabas notice, remember he's the son of encouragement or the one who encourages. He's mentioned in Acts 4.37. And we're told in Acts 4.36, Luke lists his original name as Joseph and that he was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. And remember, it was Barnabas, this Levite, the man who set apart to do God's work, he was set apart to vouch for Paul before the apostles. I love this. Just like Jesus had a herald in a way, John the Baptist, Paul has Barnabas. And so Barnabas puts Paul before the apostles in Acts chapter 9, verse 27. And then not only that, but then he starts traveling with Paul in his first missionary journey. When you go back to Acts chapter 13, verses one through chapter 14, all the way to verse 28. But then he brings another person with him. He brings Titus. And Titus' name means the title of honor. And Paul refers to him later on as a partner and a fellow worker in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. Now, what's amazing is that Titus was a delegate of Paul in Corinth, when you look at that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. So here's a new guy that's joining with Peter. So just like in a movie uh, or like a play, you start seeing these introductions to these new characters. And Titus certainly is one of them. We know of Barnabas when you go in Acts chapter, uh, you know, 
13 and following all, you know, particularly in Acts chapter four to chapter nine. And Titus, of course, is mentioned in the book of Acts, but Barnabas is early, but Titus is also another early figure that God is going to use in the life of Paul. Now notice in verse two, when he has this revelation and it was set before him and he's proclaiming the gospel, you guys, that Greek word is kariso. It literally means to preach truth while urging compliance without compromise. And he's preaching truth without compromise to the Gentiles. And then notice he says, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. It's an interesting phrase. And again, there's a different take. People have different takes of what what Paul truly meant. I'll give you a couple of those interpretations. But notice that Paul had many critics who disregarded his authority and his message from the beginning. Remember, they were already trying to get him when he was a new convert. Because remember, he was a high-powered person who was being used and had authority from the Sanhedrin to persecute the early church. And so Paul, he felt compelled to respond to his critics. So he was not always running from them and shying away from contact with them or to confront them. He wanted to respond to his critics by stating that his revelation that his gospel was, was not for man. And one of his defenses was saying, hey, listen, God has spoken to me directly, just like you guys as Jews, just like we as Jews, believe in God speaking through the prophets. God has given me a revelation, just like he has given Daniel, just like he gave Jeremiah a revelation and Ezekiel revelation. And the apostles who are Jewish men, they affirmed of this calling that I have to preach to the Gentiles. So this phrase set before them, you know, this message, Paul was placing himself in a vulnerable position. And this is, this is what, getting back to what I was opening up to you guys earlier in the podcast. So Paul, remember in Galatians 1, he's not seeking the approval of man. And he knows full well that Christ has appeared to him. And so here, what he's talking about is that he places himself in a vulnerable position by presenting his ministry and his message, catch this, before the apostles in Jerusalem to get their approval, to get their support because he needed it in order for him to go do the things that God called him to do in Jerusalem. So he was not getting their apostles to approve of his apostleship. He was getting the apostles to affirm his work as an apostle to the Gentiles. He needed camaraderie. Remember, he had Barnabas and Titus. But he's also being vulnerable because he want, he's setting this before them. Look, Christ has revealed this to me. But how many of you guys, and admit, I can, and I'll tell you, I'm right. If you can, if you can relate to this, I could totally relate, right? A lot of us can relate to this. When God reveals something to you and you know it's from the Lord, but you have no clue how to do it, how to execute it. And so what does God do? God brings you the right people at the right time. See, God never tells you to do something without giving you the necessary tools to do it. And it's not just the talent. So much of us think it's the talent. It's the vision I need to have. And we, ne- and we neglect to realize it's the people that God will put in our lives to get us to cross the finish line. So he's sitting before them in a vulnerable position and this phrase, not run in vain. So in order to make sure I was not running or had <clears throat> not run in vain. So Paul uses a Greek, this is interesting. He's using a Greek athletic imagery 
of running a race to convey his point. He feared that many of his ministry efforts might be halted due to conflict with the Judaizers or a possible compromise with the apostolic leadership in Jerusalem. So this is an interesting thing, you guys, because as Paul kept pressing forward, there was a time at this, as he's mentioning here, that he felt necessary to take to ensure that he was unified with the other leaders. And so guys, let's just pause and say, what is happening in your life right now where you can take opportunity to take advantage of the people that God has placed in your life who are more mature, maybe by age and also mature in their faith. Some people, and God has used me in my life um, to minister to older people. And in some cases, they're older in age and older in their walk with God. But nonetheless, pastorally, God can use me through the power of the Spirit to give wisdom and vice versa. I mean, I would not be doing what I'm doing today as a writer, speaker, podcaster uh, without the wisdom that God has given me through people, my wife, my financial uh, and spiritual advisors, my board, my pastoral friends, my colleagues in various different ministries that I work with, like Summit and focus on the family. So this is what Paul's doing here, you guys. And we can kind of move forward and move past this and not really understand what Paul's saying here. He's being vulnerable. He's also ensuring that as he moves forward in the ministry, that there is validation. There is affirmation saying, yes, continue, my friend, to do what you're doing. Use Barnabas, use Titus. We're here praying for you. And that's a good reminder for all of us, you guys, not to do things alone. But build, not, I'm not saying you need to find a fan base or anything like that, but you certainly need people who are going to be talking to you and giving you sound advice. So now let's look at verses three through five here where Paul details his defense against false teachers. So it's interesting when he mentions Titus is with him now, but then he has to say when he goes in Jerusalem that, that even though Titus was with him in Jerusalem, he wasn't forced to be circumcised because he's a Greek. Now, this is interesting because for Paul to take Titus, who's an uncircumcised Jew, this actually showed great boldness on Paul's behalf. And not only that, but it also established the fact that the gospel was not exclusive to the Gentiles, or excuse me, to the Jews, but that there was a door that was open for the Gentiles. And that was one of the reasons why strategically Paul is using a guy like Titus. Because as you know, circumcision there were some Judaizers there who were allowing Gentiles to become Jews by becoming circumcised and following the Mosaic law, according to Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. And so Paul was not going to succumb to that, nor was he going to take Titus, a Greek, and have him circumcised. Yet because of these false brothers, <clears throat> they were secretly, it, literally, this is an interesting word, they, they had no business to be involved in what Paul and the rest of the Christians were doing, but they were being, they, they, they slipped in, they infiltrated to try to take their freedom in Christ and bring bondage. That word slavery or bondage is katadulo. It means to enslave utterly, to bring into bondage. So the legalizers wanted to trap Paul and the gang into following the law of Moses so that they would reject the gospel that's by grace through faith. They wanted their book, if you will. They wanted you to follow their way of freedom. 
But this phrase slipped to spy. These false brothers, these false believers had simulated themselves, you guys, catch this in the church. So I want you guys to think about how many false teachers have, I'm thinking about my church right now, how many people have slipped in to spy on what we're doing? See, outwardly, these people seem to be part of the Christian faith. They seem to be part of the community. They're one of us. But you guys, inwardly, they are dead in their sins and they are seeking ways to corrupt you and me and they're trying to disrupt the moving hand of God in Christianity. Now, I like what MacArthur says because he unpacks the meaning of the word spy by stating this Greek word pictures spies or traitors entering by stealth into an enemy's camp. The Judaizers were Satan's undercover agents sent into the midst of the church to sabotage the true gospel, end quote. So you guys, be careful. Be on high alert because people who are slipping into our church community to spy on us, they want to start teaching things that run contrary to the gospel message, okay? And so in order for you to know that, one is you have to be prayerful. You have to stay sober and vigilant. You have to know the true gospel. You have to study and defend the true gospel. And you have to have discernment. Jude 4 says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord into a license of immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, Paul says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So notice they're deceitful, they disguise themselves, they secretly slip in, but you guys are ungodly and they're perverting something. I've had to confront many people who've taken advantage of women in the church pretending to be godly men, but they just want sex. Or somebody who wants, who says, oh, I, I, they sign you know, the membership and they, they, they say they uphold to the doctrines and they want to start teaching and they start teaching things that are contrary to the Bible. I mean, it's just never ending, you guys. So be on high alert because the, the word that, that Paul uses when they, when they want to bring you into slavery, again, this is what, when you and I are not standing guard and, they, and false teachers are able to slip in among us, they want to bring us into slavery. That basically means they want to wage war with anything that opposes to their religious system. So the strategy of these false brothers, they were convincing people to return to the law. So anything that Paul or Barnabas or the apostles were saying, they're saying, no, that's false. And then it says, to them, we did not yield into submission, even for a moment. I love this because again, Paul was being vulnerable. Paul was going to the apostles for affirmation, for support to ensure that they were unified and that the gospel that God had revealed to him, that he was faithfully executing it the way that God wanted him to, that there was people backing him, that he was not alone in this. But Paul also was not, again, he was not willing to circumcise Titus, a Greek, nor was Paul wanting to give in personally or willing to yield or give up his position of authority or even compromise his message of the gospel for these people. He didn't yield into submission. 
nor did he allow others to pressure him to soften or to conform his ministry to what the world wanted him to teach. You guys, you got to love Paul for that. Because sadly, in the culture today, I just did a video. You guys can check things out. Go to Jason P. Jimenez on YouTube, on my YouTube channel there. And if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. And click the notification button so when I put out videos, you guys will get alert. And share them with your friends because recently I did one on, and, and, I, and again, it saddens me to do this. And I, I'm going to tell you guys, you guys know this as my, as my brothers and sisters out there listening. We pray for these people like Andy Stanley and who's, who's kind of teaching some wayward things. But I'm not going to say right here, right now that he is a completely, totally false teacher who is not saved. I don't see evidence of that. I see evidence that I'm concerned about some heretical teaching. But recently I, did, I had to do a video because of the wokeness of David Platt and the clean Bible. And seeing how many people who support critical race, the critical race theory are slipping into these churches and, how, and, and really converting people to this wokeness theory. So this stuff is among us, you guys. And again, I can go on and on about this stuff. But as I close out, I want you guys to, one, think about something. One, like Paul did, be vulnerable. Look for people that you can bounce ideas off of and get support to ensure that what you're doing is, is, is of the Lord, that you stay unified and not divide. But also, when you see people who are trying to teach things that are false, don't compromise and, and yield into submission to them. Because all they're going to do is they're going to bring you into slavery, into their false teaching. And they're going to slave you with it. And there are so many Christians out there, you guys, who fall for it. So be a Christian who is discerning and who's willing to stand up for the truth, no matter the cost. So I pray this has been a blessing to you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.